Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. A week two of our House Rules series and we're talking very practically about some issues of faith and of family. Last week we spoke about relationships and about where we actually center ourselves and when we center ourselves in Jesus and when we center our key relationships in Jesus, all things flow from that. And today I want to talk a little bit more about family life and relationships. But overarching all of that, I want to talk to something that's going to speak to the heart of all of us, which is where do your priorities lie? In 2006, the Australian Bureau of Statistics started a survey called the Time Use Survey. Now, from what I can see, they're in the process of trying to get that off the ground again now, but they haven't done it since 2006. And it looked at the ways that Australians use their time and garnered all data from how we use our time, our work, our sleep, our eating habits, our toileting habits, just everything to work out how much time we spend doing particular activities in any particular day. And there were four main areas that they broke it down into. There was necessary time. Think of things that you cannot survive without like sleep and personal hygiene and eating. Now, some of us have turned eating from necessary time into also pleasurable time, but it's necessary time. You need food to sustain and you need time to eat. They then moved into what they would call committed time. So think work, study, uh, responsibilities in your home, things that you, are, you, have to, uh, you have to do. Committed time, things that you've uh, committed to do. Then there was contracted time, and I got my things mixed up, but that was work and study, things that if you don't turn up, you're in a whole world of trouble. And finally, there was free time. And what they found was fascinating around different demographics and different ages as to the way we use our time. Now, I'm going to do a really practical illustration this morning, and uh, sorry for just the simplicity of this, the high budget here at Gateway Ormo. But imagine every one of these cups equates to one hour in your day. See, the time use survey said that most people, it was a bit more than this, but, but most people dedicate around eight hours to sleep. Who just thinks that that is awesome? Eight hours of sleep? Who's sitting here, and like new parents, you're thinking, man, eight hours of sleep would be a gift right now. Some of us hear that eight hours and go, actually, there's a whole more sleep in my tank, so I'd rather a few more hours, but we're just going to leave them to the side. Young adults, the survey said, needed more sleep. We didn't need more sleep, they just had more sleep. I think they also need it, but it was not eight hours, it was more than that. And uh, some of you have done really well. Some of you have gone, man, I wish we had an 11 o'clock service because 10 o'clock's early on a Sunday morning, right? Isn't that true? Some of you are like, how come we can't do 6 a.m.? I was up and ready when the sun started to rise. But most of us work off about eight hours sleep. Add to that, contracted time, work, study, or if uh, you're not uh, employed by an employer, maybe you run something in the home, or maybe you're contracted time is around actually family management. And so if we add to that um, a whole bunch of work or study time. So if you're a student, think study. But if I add eight hours of work and study, you can see suddenly our day is starting to fill up. Then there's other things that are necessary like personal hygiene. Let's put an hour aside for that, showering, toileting, cleaning your teeth, 
all the things that matter. Some of us spend more time than an hour. Some of us spend a whole lot less. Then there's food, the preparation of food and the consumption of food takes a couple of hours in everybody's day. Some of us are still stuck back on the fact that I only put eight hours out here for work, right? Or maybe we just have a few more in the bank over here that we'll keep for another illustration. But you're thinking, if I could just do eight hours work a day, man, my spouse would love me, but that's never going to happen. Now, we all live in southeast Queensland. You can't get anywhere quickly. Even driving from my house in Jacob's Ridge Estate to the school on a school morning takes a good 20, 25 minutes. So the round trip is significant. We all know, and then repeat that in the afternoon, but when I have to go to work further up in the city, we know that there's at least an hour a day in transiting and driving children around. If you've got children or driving ourselves around, if you don't. Then we add an hour of household duties or chores, you know, things like making your bed, cleaning up from dinner, uh, making sure that you know, the floor, the mess on the floor is cleaned up. We all would spend somewhere around an hour a day. For those of us that have kids, we have kids' needs. So not just spending time with the kids, hanging out, having fun, but actually addressing their needs. Maybe for you, you just go, right now, the kids' needs are just added to the transportation thing because the only thing my kids ever seem to need is to be driven somewhere. Who knows that's true? Go talk to my beautiful wife yesterday. She drove them, you know, uh, she drove all over southeast Queensland. She could have had about five hours here of just driving children around. And then we are at our volunteer time, whatever that is. Maybe we volunteer to help at the school. Maybe we volunteer to help at youth group. Maybe we volunteer on a Sunday morning. But if our week was broken down and there was an hour of our week given to the things that we give that aren't contracted, we don't get paid for them, but it's our contribution to society. And then at the end of the day, when we sit down on the couch and have to find out what's happened in everybody else's day, so we log onto the socials and we check out what everybody else has spent their day doing, we get to a fairly full picture. But what about Netflix? What about the book that we want to read? You see, already I've got 24 hours of my day filled right here. But there's a whole bunch of things that we haven't added. I mean, there's the book that I'm in the middle of reading, or there's my Netflix time. And most of us that uh, like watching Netflix know that one episode can never end at one episode. It's always got to turn into two. It's the whole binge watching thing that we do. And they, they're really smart, aren't they? Before you get to the credits, they've already started the second episode and it just sucks you in. What about something dear to my heart? Exercise? <laughs> Going to the gym? Walking the dog? What about those just pesky little appointments you've got to find time to fit in? Dentist? Doctor? You know, for some of you who are older, it's not work over here. It's just eye doctor, podiatrist, you know, whatever. But, you know, there's those appointments that we have to fit in. All the introverts are going, what about my alone time? The time where I'm not doing anything, but I'm just alone. What about those of us that are extroverts and go, well, where's the time for my friends? What about those of us that are married going, well, where's the time for my spouse or some intimacy with my spouse? And then there's those of us that are parents. And we wonder when we're going to fit in the kids' dance lessons. You know, the kids doing nippers so that they've got beach safety Little athletics, because we watch the Olympics and we just want to make sure that our kids get the chance to see if they're any good at javelin. Then there's piano or oboe. Then we add church. The sermons are always a bit long, so we better put two hours for that. And then we add life group, and I'm running out of room here. There's at least two hours because of the transit. And then what about if we actually do decide to turn up to the prayer meeting that Sam and Lauren have talked about this morning? Now, nothing that I've mentioned is out of the ordinary for most of us, is it? But already you can see the problem. 
Because right here, 24 hours of your day is filled. Now, we either call that the weekend or we work out a different way of approaching it. Andy Stanley says this, there is not enough time to get everything done that you are convinced or others have convinced you needs to get done. I'm going to start my message this morning by just putting it out there, that you don't have enough time to do everything that you are convinced you should be doing. You don't have enough time to fit in everything in life that you want to be doing or you feel that is necessary for you to be doing. So if you don't have enough time, what's the only option? We've well, got to make some choices, don't you? Now, this is how some of us deal with it. We decide that we actually need to do some of these things, so we decide to steal time from some of those things. So when it comes to, say, some spending some time with our spouse, we decide that we're just going to take a bit of kind of the work time. But stealing time from work is not a good idea, is it? Or we steal it from sleep, but we also know that stealing time from sleep is not a good idea. Or we steal it from you know, some of our social things. So we give up some of the things that build us because somewhere we need to fit that in. And, and then we think, you know, being part of church is a really important thing, but where do I steal time from so that I can fit it into my schedule? Maybe I stop giving of my time so that I can just be present with my time. You see, the way we address the inequity of all that we want to do and the time we have to do it is we start to steal time. The other thing we do is we just start to blame time. We just give in to the busyness and the pressures and we just go, well, it's not my fault. God should have given us more hours in the day. He only gave me 24. He told me that I needed to get some sleep in that. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. I have no control and we feel like we're just at the mercy of something we have no control over. You know, one of the things that we do when we start to feel the pressure of this, and this is going to bite some of us this morning, but, but, but in stealing time, we make this decision that there's some easy targets, don't we? Our family is an easy target. I mean, if I don't turn up to work or if I don't do that extra job at work or if I don't do the extra hours, I'm going to let someone down in my workplace. Maybe I'm going to risk that promotion. Maybe I'm not going to get the job, but... But if I turn up late when I get home, when I promise my family I'd be there and when I promise I'd do some stuff with my kids, well, I'll just apologise and I'll bring some flowers and I'll buy them ice cream next time we're out. You see, we pick some easy targets. Or we just go, oh, I don't know what's going to give this week. I've got so much on. I've got so much work to do. Maybe my faith, the stuff that I do, not chores, that doesn't disappear, but maybe church or life group. You know, that's an easy win. Like it's... I don't have to be there, I don't have to do it, I don't have to turn up, but there's a whole bunch of stuff here that I have to do that I can't avoid. And so I'm not going to give up the things over here to fit in the things over here. You see, we go for the easy targets. Well, let me just say something that's going to be really hard for some of us to process this morning, but it's a really important principle that underpins all of this, and that's this. You have time. God's given you time. How you choose to use it and fill it is going to come down to your choices and your priorities. You see, some of us talk about our time like we're disempowered to address the busyness of life. Let me tell you one thing that's true. God isn't going to add to the hours of your day. God's not going to allow you to operate on zero sleep. 
God's not going to allow you to cheat on some things that you need to do just to survive. So God's not going to add to the hours of your day. And here's the sobering reality. No one's going to fix this problem for you. The only way you're going to fix it is to make some really tough choices. And it's tough because the thing we know is you can't do everything. Now, so that you're not distracted, let me remove a few of these. But we can't do everything. We know that there's not enough time to do all the things that matter to us. So the question I want to ask is, what needs to drop? Because every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to another. Every time you say yes to that extra bit of work, you say no to something in your family. Every time you say yes to that extra bit of sleep, you rob yourself from the chance to get out and do some exercise. You see, every time you say yes to one thing, even if it's a really good thing, you are, without even knowing it, saying no to something else. So what needs to drop? You see, the decisions we make have very real consequences. Maybe they've got financial consequences. You see, it's easy for me to say just, yeah, if we say no to work, we say yes to our family, but some of you are going, I can't say no. Like, like you should see, we've bought a massive house and the mortgage is incredible and I've tried to invest in the lifestyle that my children really want and so unless I take the overtime, I can't afford to give my family the lifestyle that they deserve. So you make a financial decision by saying yes to one thing and no to another. There's very real impacts. Chrissy and I had this conversation this week. Chrissy's a nurse. I work full-time at Gateway. Chrissy's a registered nurse that works part-time. And we always see the opportunity for her. Yeah, we know there's the opportunity for her to pick up work whenever she needs to. And so we've got a few big projects on at the moment that we'd like to do. And there's always this balance of going, well, you could go work some more. But if we say yes to that, what are we saying no to? And suddenly, as we start to process the financial impact of saying no, we start to process the family impact of saying yes. It might not be a financial impact. It might be a relational impact. I, I, just let me let you know a little bit about my personality. I, I did one of those. I, when, when you're in like church ministry roles, you get given a thousand leadership, personality, gifts, who you are tests. They roll around every other year and someone else wants to pigeonhole you into something. Well, I did one that just said that I want to be everybody's friend. So my natural affinity is to be your friend. I like you, most of you, a few of you. No, I'm joking. I'm always looking to be people's friends. I like to be liked and I like to be your friend. But here's the thing, I can't be everybody's friend. I can, I can be your friend on a, on a simple level, but in terms of deep, lasting, connected friendship, see, if I had my way, I, I'd have enough spare days in my week to have all of you over for a barbecue at my house. I don't have that many spare days, and so I don't do that. But here's the thing, right? We, we have to make decisions that mean sometimes that we have, we have a relational impact. You know, one of the great challenges, and every workplace is different, right? One of the great challenges when you're a pastor is that I want to be all your friends, but God's given me five kids to care for, and guess what? And I hate to blow your, kind of burst your bubble here, but they're a greater priority in my life than you are. Some people think that pastors should make their congregation the greatest priority of their life, but, but God's given them as my greatest priority and then I, I love kind of doing what I do. This is part of what I do vocationally, but it's what I do because of passion as well. But 
I, I can't be everybody's best friend. That really hurts people that have a personality like me. Like, God, give me extra hours in the day. I could have so many more friends and so many more social connections. Chrissy and I talk about this all the time. I, I, I want you guys to know you're loved, but I don't want my kids to feel like they're not loved because I love you more than I love them. There's a relational impact to the decisions we make around time. There's an opportunity impact. I just want to talk to parents for a minute. If you're parents, and especially if you've got school-age kids, like if you, if you still have children under your responsibility, let me just talk very frankly for a minute. Because I think one of the things that many of us wrestle as parents is this thing called opportunity. It's called the, I want my kids to have every opportunity. Like we, we do, we watch the Olympics and think, how will they ever know if they are God's, if God's gifted them as a pole vaulter unless I give them the opportunity to go and find out? I mean, how will I ever know if oboe and the bassoon is their thing to do if I never give them the opportunity to find out? How, how, how do I know if you know, swimming is their thing if I don't give them the opportunity to find out? I should give them the opportunity for gymnastics. I should give them the opportunity for dance. I should give them the opportunity to learn to tie knots by going to you know, like scouts. I should learn, give them the opportunity to be part of a great youth group. But that's not even an opportunity. That's just a given, right? Kids Club and Youth, we're not even talking about that today. It's off the table. It's just for you've got kids. Get them to Kids Club and Youth. No, we'll talk about that later. But we, we wrestle this thing as parents. It's called opportunity. And we feel like if we don't give our kids every opportunity to try every possible thing on planet Earth that they could, should, and would want to do, we're robbing them of the opportunity. We're actually going to block them from stepping into an incredible potential in their future. But I just want to tell you something really frank. There's a whole bunch of things that your kids aren't going to get an opportunity to try. Because you don't have the time for them to try everything. And you're going to have to make your peace with the fact that if you want to prioritize some other things, you can't spend your whole life putting your kids in everything that you see as an opportunity for them to find out if it's something that they're gifted at doing. Now, none of those things that I mentioned are bad. None of them are bad. And I really believe in giving our kids the opportunity to try some stuff. They just can't try everything. And before anyone gets upset, I really hope one day that we have an oboe and a bassoon rocking on the stage. Just want to say that. So if that's your gift, go for it. So I want to ask you a question today. It's this, what are your greatest priorities? Because I'm convinced because of the time pressure we feel that often the thing that we would say are the things that we value the most, the things that we prioritise the most, are not actually reflected in our practice. And part of the challenge of this series is to go away and build a plan, build a family plan. I want to encourage you today that this isn't just about family. This is, you can, this is a challenge to all of us. That are the things that you value the most reflected in your priorities. There are two places you can start to help answer that question. If you want to know what you prioritise the most, look at your bank statement and your diary. Because the thing we give our time to and the thing we spend our money on actually starts to tell us about the things that we value most with our heart. But I want to ask, are the things that you value the most reflected in your practice? I, I sat down and did this. What, what are the things that are greatest priority for me? And, and number one was that my family would have every opportunity to build a dynamic relationship with Jesus. That, that's my number one priority, my number one hope in life. Now, let me be honest and vulnerable. My practice hasn't always lined up with my value statement. 
But if I'm really honest, the thing that matters most in life to me is that when my kids grow up and I no longer have the opportunity to invest in them, that they have every opportunity to go on in a dynamic relationship with Jesus. I've actually decided that that's way more important to me than living in a great house, driving a great car, having great holidays. I love all of that stuff too. But more important than any of that is that my kids get the chance to know Jesus because that's not just a life impact, that's an eternal. Secondly, I said on my priority list is good family, healthy relationships. That Chrissy and I invest in a growing, loving marriage and that my kids know they're loved, they're cared for, and that this is what Jesus would want for them. And number three, and this is a mix for me of both vocation but passion, is that I'm part of building a healthy, impacting, great local church. There's a priority list. There's just my priority list, and there's probably a great order. Those things can get out of whack at times. But on my priority list, faith is a priority. Now, I don't want to assume for all of us that faith is a priority in our families. And if that's not for you, I, I hope my challenge today might get you to think about whether it should be. But if not, some of what I'm going to say from here may not be applicable to you. That's okay. I'm now going to step from a place that suggests that for many of us that are here today, building faith into our family really matters. Now, I recognize every family is different. Every family makeup is different. Some of you are carrying this can in your family on your own. You are the only person of faith in your family. But if faith is a priority, let me speak a little bit to that. Because many of us, I reckon, treat faith like it's just something we have to sneak in. In other words, we just have to make sure that in every day, there's a few of the boxes that tick the faith box, and then we're doing okay, God's going to like us, and God's going to love us. And you know, occasionally, we'll just you know, switch it out for something else. But as long as there's something in the mix of life and the way we use our time that suggests that God matters and that we care about our faith, that that's okay. If that's the kind of faith life that you're living, it's a really slippery slope to step into what people call religion. In other words, I do things because I have to do them. Now, some of the things that we do religiously aren't bad. But if the belief that all I have to do is tick the box and then God's going to think I'm okay, I think you've missed the point of what Jesus calls us to. Because actually all of this is about faith. You see, every aspect of what we do should be done to the glory of God. See, Jesus doesn't say just compartmentalise your faith and your belief and your following of me and find time for it. He says, I want you to make it your greatest priority. In one of the most challenging scriptures from Luke chapter 9, Jesus, uh, there's a story of Jesus encountering different people as he's walking the highways and the byways. And from verse 57, let me read it to you. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I mean, this is going to challenge the narrative that many of us have built in our life, isn't it? That, you know, building the comfortable lifestyle, building the great home, having the great cars, having the financial nest egg, passing on an awesome inheritance is the thing that matters most. But Jesus says, Jesus had no assets he said, come follow me, but don't come and do it if you're looking for a life of, you know, blessed possession. Someone else said to him, oh, he said to someone else, follow me. 
But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I don't have time to unpack that, but there was some cultural reality here. Jesus isn't being discompassionate, but the guy wanted to go home and do the family thing for a while and get all the affairs in order. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You've got to come. You've got to follow right now. Come and proclaim the kingdom. You want to follow me? It's got to be priority number one. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now that passage really deserves a whole message to unpack because there's some really confronting things in there. But I want you just to feel the confrontation of it this morning. Maybe unpack it in your life group this week. See, the downside to my illustration was that faith just becomes another time slot. It gets compartmentalized. But Jesus wants it to embed the whole lot. But there's some practices in our faith that do take time that the Bible speaks to that are important in making sure that the whole thing comes together. There's some practices in our faith. Like the Bible says, do not stop meeting together. In other words, being present and gathered with other people of faith is important to your faith journey. As I'm about to turn and talk to parents for a moment, you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot over my years is that at some point people get to my age, a little bit younger, kind of 30 to 40, and decide they've grown up in the church, they know it all, and therefore we don't ne- I don't need the church to be a Christian. And for the first 10 years of their kids' lives, they just neglect actually giving any kind of example of what matters most because they've decided that they don't need the practices that God told them aren't just good for them but are good for their family. You see, the practices matter. Because priority number one, as Jesus calls us to, is to make him number one. Please don't hate me for what I'm about to say. Because I like to be friends. And I want you to all be my friends. Please. But the sad truth is this. Many of us probably spent more time on social media this month than we're going to be engaged in the practices of our faith this whole year. And you think, that's crazy. Just... Go and look at your screen time for a minute and then do some calculations. I'm not not saying in terms of faith itself because faith envelopes everything. I'm talking about the things that help you build faith, like being with other Christians, like spending time with God in the Word and in prayer, like investing of your gifts so others can be grown and encounter Jesus themselves. But if you don't think it's true, let, let me give you a really simple illustration. You see, this, this gathered on the Sunday morning, for instance, is just one aspect of how we practice our faith. There's 52 weeks in every year. And even those of us that say that we're really committed, just do some maths with me. Because there's four weeks in there somewhere that you know, work will overcome your weekend or there'll be a job or a project or something that you just need to get done that means you can't get to church. There's probably another four weeks where you've got a family commitment, a family birthday, you know, your cousins that you know are getting married somewhere out of town. There's a kids' sports competition on that your kids have been selected in. There's another four weeks where you can't make it here because of that. There's four weeks where you're just away, you're having a holiday, you're having a weekend away, you've gone camping at the beach, or we're in southeast Queensland on the northern Gold Coast. It's just a beautiful day. It's 28 degrees, the sun's shining, and you heard that the waves at Snapper Rocks are awesome. There's two weeks that you're sick. Make that six if you've got kids. Make that eight during the COVID pandemic. Because even if you had a sniffle seven weeks ago, you feel like you probably should just isolate yourself at home and get a test. And that's very important. I'm not saying you shouldn't. There's two Sundays where Sunday morning is just way too hard because Saturday night was way too late. 
There's one week where if you're really honest, you just heard there's someone preaching that you don't really like. And so you just, if there's going to be a day to have off, this is the day to have off. And then there's two weeks where, well, I just could not be bothered. Even pastors have Sundays where we wake up and think, Andrew's preaching again today. I can't be bothered. I probably should turn up because I'm Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) I've even tried hard and we're already 19 weeks down. What what I'm saying is that that's life. I'm not challenging that. I'm I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying that it's so easy for the things that matter to get overshadowed by things that add no value to our life. So the bottom line today is you can't do everything. So what are you going to choose is the most important? Because it won't just happen by osmosis. You need to fight for the things that matter the most. So let me ask you two questions. Does your faith, or does your practice align with your priorities? Does your practice align with your priorities? Go and do that exercise this week. Go and sit down and write out the things that matter the most, the things that you value the most in life, in family, in relationships, financially. What, what do you value the most? And then try and give them some order and then ask whether the way you use your time at all reflects the way that you've ordered your values. Because you can't do everything. And the second question is this, are you being intentional in investing in that which you value the most? And so for a few minutes, let me just talk to parents, especially of those of school-aged kids. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's, there's a, uh, a story where Jesus, uh, where God, sorry, he's actually rescued the people out of the land of slavery. Now, to have been rescued out of the land of slavery, where they were in enslaved for 400 years you've got to understand that the community life had no structure we look at the law in the scriptures and we think oh man god's just full of rules but no no, the rules are full of grace because god took a people that had no structure they didn't know how to do life they'd just been oppressed and beaten and mistreated and they picked up those practices and if they were just let to run loose they would have just done all the same stuff they would have inherited that which they'd seen because we do that so god pulls them together and says okay i'm going to list a whole bunch of laws Now, we read it and go, oh, man, there's a lot in there. But just go and read the legislation of our nation. You'll realize that God was incredibly gracious in what he asked his people to do. He said, I'm going to structure the community and help you do life well together. And so God starts to talk about how they treated each other, how they treated him, how they did the relationship vertically, and how they lived horizontally. Now, you know, don't covet your neighbor's things. Don't don't murder. You know, Make God number one. Keep God's Sabbath and make it whole. Like all of these things that God said, this is how I want you to structure community life. And so God has now gathered the nation and Moses who, who'd been part of the story and Joshua and other leaders that had all been part of the story had been speaking into the people over all this time. But on this particular day, God gathers all the people. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six, the Bible says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today to be on your hearts. Now listen to this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you it's a land with large flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide, and wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, 
who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, God says to them, okay, I'm about to give you some stuff that's going to help you do life well. Don't just walk away from this and, and not embed it in all that you do. Talk about it day and night. Talk about it at home. Talk about it over dinner. Talk about it in the car. Talk about it on your way to sport. Talk about it on the way home from school. And plaster it everywhere. Like just make sure that it's front and center in all that you do, God's way to do life well. In other words, I think if this verse was coming applicable today, make sure that your kids know God's way of doing life well. How to treat people with respect and dignity. How to do relationships well. How to honor God with their bodies. How to live godly sexuality. How to be generous. How to be kind. How to show respect. How not to gossip. How not to show contempt to others. He just says, Everything that is the world and the land that God is creating for you, make sure it's your conversation. Make sure it's a thing you dwell on. Make sure it's a thing that's visible in your home. I want to suggest that what God spoke to the community of Israel back in Deuteronomy 6 is true for us today. And so let me just give you a couple of really key principles. And what I'm about to say is very important because if you're a parent, God's given you the responsibility and the privilege of investing in a life, someone made in the image of God, who has a future that's purposed in God and, is that in, and who is an eternal being. And whether you like it or not, that comes with incredible responsibility. So number one, make faith visible. It's amazing how kids are going to take their prompts from you. They don't just pick up the good, they'll also pick up the bad. You know, there's moments, and I've had these in the past, where you know, you get a little lax with your manners at the dinner table. But then you go to someone else's place for dinner and I'm old enough to get context and know what's appropriate at someone else's place for dinner and my kids forget the context and just remember what they've seen dad do. You see, kids will watch what you do and they'll take your prompt from you. See, I reckon one of the things that's really challenging for us in our families is we can turn the faith life that we're invited into just information. In other words, if one day we just get the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and get them to pray a prayer and repent of their sins, we've done our job. But, but the kids are, your kids are going to watch you. And whatever you prioritize, not just in your words, but in your life, is the thing that's going to be the greatest example to them. So I want to encourage you to live outwardly the things that you value inwardly. I mean, what do you want your kids to see? I think most of us here as parents would say we want to grow kids that are respectful. Well, if you want your kids to show respect, how do they see that modeled by you? We want our kids to be generous. Do they see you as generous or do they see you just giving loose change to everything that's not about building your own kingdom? You want your kids to treat people well? Well, model it for them. If you want your kids to contribute and not just to consume, model it for them. Here's a big one. I reckon most of us in our house, we want our kids to be contributors, not just consumers. We have this conversation all the time. I tell my kids, I am not your butler. But we live in a world that's actually uh, aligned for consumers. In other words, we walk out of the house and then expect everybody to do stuff for us. But if you want your kids to be contributors and not just consumers, get involved in doing some stuff outside the house to show them what that looks like. Serve somewhere. This isn't about building the serving ministry at Gateway Ormo. Go and find somewhere to give to someone that you don't get paid for to tell your kids that that's part of being a great citizen. 
We'd love it to be in your local church, but if there's nothing here for you or you don't really care about your local church, go to your local sporting club or your local school or somewhere because unless you model what it means to be a contributor and not a consumer, your kids are just going to grow up to be consumers. Consumers. Let's bring it together. Consumers that just expect everyone else to do stuff for them. How do you model grace? How do you model forgiveness when someone wrongs you? How do you model a dynamic relationship with Jesus? How do you model good faith practice? So I want to ask, are you actually modeling the things that you inwardly value in your outward practice? It was an ancient principle that God gave his people and it's something very valid for us today that the things that you care about have to show up visibly in the things that you do and the choices you make. So make faith visible. And number two, don't outsource faith development. Faith community really matters. I've already spoken to you about that a little bit today. I I just want to give a little shout out now to our kids and youth programs that run here on Friday nights. I mean, all the studies that have been shown about how faith develops talk about the importance of family, which I'm about to get to, but also talk about the network we create around our families. And so putting your kids somewhere where they're actually going to build great friends that actually care about the same stuff that they care about really matters. So make it a priority. I grew up in the church, in a Christian school. I went to youth group every week. But the place that I was impacted most in my faith was in the home. And so if you're a parent here today, my challenge to you is this. Take ownership of the faith development of your kids. 20 years ago, I started a job as a youth pastor. And I met some parents that their kids just walked away from God, walked away from faith, walked away from the church. And they come into my office and they want to talk about it because they wanted to tell me how that was everybody else's fault. The church was to blame, the youth group was to blame, the studies that we ran on Friday night were to blame... Some would say we weren't fun enough. Some would say we weren't serious enough. Some would say we prayed too little. Some would say we prayed too much. It was always everybody else's fault. Some people then blamed the school because they sent their kids to a Christian school because we all know if we do that, they're going to grow up loving Jesus, right? I went to a Christian school. Teachers in Christian schools, most of them love Jesus, but they're not theologians and they're here to educate your kids. See, some of us have decided we don't have enough time to impart faith to our kids, so we're going to employ someone else to do the work for us. It's not how it works. If you're a person of faith, take ownership. I mean, do some maths for a minute. Even if you're really committed and devout, your kids will be two weeks, two hours a week at church, maybe three hours a week at Ormo because we love doing cupcakes and coffee after the service. They might spend three hours a week at youth or kids club. They might spend 30 hours a week at school where the primary function of being there is education. They might have 10 hours a week in extracurricular, 63 hours, 63 hours a week they're asleep. And so that leaves 60 hours where they're probably somewhere in or around your presence. Now my maths in there isn't great, but I'm trying to illustrate that as parents, no one has a greater opportunity, has greater access, or has greater influence over your kids than you do. So decide what matters most and then invest in that which you value. See, my purpose today is really simple. I want to get the band to come join me. I want to encourage you that within your family, you have the greatest opportunity to develop faith within your kids. So make it visible, make it intentional, and take the ownership.
the thing I feel really challenged in giving a message like today is that we draw some really simple conclusions on some really complex things. And I also want to recognise that in this space, there's so much diversity and complexity in people's family situations that you can walk away from this feeling incredible guilt. I believe God wants you to feel guilt today. Actually, just want, I think he wants you to know that none of us have got this perfect. Come hang out with me and my family for a bit and recognise that I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you because this is my challenge as well. But God's so gracious because we're all going to muck this up. We're all going to get that out of whack at times. We're all going to drop the ball on some things that matter the most. We're all going to neglect the things that we shouldn't be neglecting because there's pressures that come in that we just don't know how to navigate. We're all going to feel the pressure of that. And my purpose today isn't to make anyone walk out of here feeling like you failed or that you're filled with guilt. My purpose today is actually, and, and allow me the grace in this, is to probably shock some of us into actually doing something before it's too late in our story. But for some of us today, we're probably here and think, well, it is too late for us. And wish I'd, part of you going, I wish I heard that message 20 years ago. The other part's thinking, I wish I didn't turn up today because it's race and thoughts in me that, oh man, here's the good news. God is so gracious. And, and no story goes in a straight line. And it says in the Proverbs that you should train a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from that way. I heard that growing up all the time and it used to become a mantra for, you know, do it like this and this is going to be the outcome. But God's given everyone free will and God's also made himself known. God pursues us. God isn't trying to be hidden. And I've seen plenty of families that probably by the letter of it have done everything right and have had kids that at the end have just gone, stuff you, stuff God, I'm doing my own thing. And I've seen others that there's not, not an ounce of faith in the family. Actually, God was actually spoken down and God was kind of just a swear word in the family and they had an encounter with God's grace that transformed their life and the future generations of their family. You see, there's no linear line in any of this. There's some great principles that we can all take on and I speak to those of us today that are still in that space. But for all of us, don't walk out with guilt. If you've got grown kids and right now they're not walking with Jesus, the greatest thing that you can do for your family is to find time in your day to prioritize time to bring them before God in prayer. That might be the adjustment for you. You know what? I don't have kids that I'm driving around. I don't have kids sitting at my table anymore. I don't have kids that I can influence. And right now my heart aches for some of the decisions they're making. But you know what? I'm just going to take a little bit of this and I'm going to bring prayer into the center of my diary. And I'm going to choose to sit every day and to name my kids before Jesus, to name my grandkids before Jesus to lift them up, to ask His grace to be known, to ask for people of faith to come into their story, but ask their worlds to be impacted. And God is so good and God is so gracious. There's no promises, but I know that that's a prayer that He wants to answer. So maybe for you, the time adjustment is now how you carry your family in prayer. Maybe for you, the time adjustment is how you, because you've got kids at home, is now how you model faith to your kids. And if you're really honest and they look at how seriously you are about being invested in the things that you value the most, they're not getting a great example right now. And you need to do something about this to change the narrative. God's not going to give you any more hours in your day. Some of the pressure that some of you carry at work is not going to disappear just because you've heard a great sermon and feel challenged. 
your need for sleep and replenishment and food and you know the, the stuff you need to do for your family. That, none of that stuff's going to disappear, but how do we work the matrix? How do we choose to say no to some other good things so that we can say yes to some greater things? So that ultimately we can give the best possible account for the things that matter the most. So we all face this challenge. Many of us are time poor. All of us are opportunity hungry. In other words, what can I add? What can I do? What can I experience? But despite the challenge of that, the principle I want you to walk away from is this. God wants you to build your family and wants you to build his. How are you going to make it happen? Lord God, I just want to pray today for wisdom. Lord, some, some things I've said today are going to be really confronting and challenging for some people. And I just want to pray that, that the atmosphere in this place would be one of grace. God, you have for every prodigal child in this place, every child that's walked away from the faith, every child that's made another decision, Jesus, you've got your eye upon them and that you are just ministering to them in ways that they wouldn't even know. God, we want to lift them up before you now. Call your prodigals home, Lord Jesus. Bring back those uh, that, that are represented in this community this morning. That have just their heart is breaking right now because of the decisions their kids have made as adults. And Lord, I want to pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd start to prompt, that you'd bring people into their world that can actually enact change. Lord, I want to pray this morning for those here that still have influence over their kids. They're still in their house. They still, uh, Lord, their, their decisions, their values are still being seen in every moment. Lord, I pray for those here that are carrying that faith mantle all alone in their family story. And Lord, maybe they're the only person of faith in their family story. God, give them courage, give them wisdom. Give them all that they need, every resource under heaven, Lord, to continue to hold strong and to continue to speak faith and life into the next generation. Lord, for those of us that are here, and Lord, we, we've been blessed. Deuteronomy said, Lord, let us not get so overwhelmed by all the good things that we experience that we start to drop the ball on things that matters the most. Lord, challenge the things that need to be challenged. Give us the courage to confront the practices that need to be adjusted. And Lord, would you continue to grow in this church a generation of young people and kids that fall in love with you and want to give everything to follow you. That will walk away from everything else to make you number one. We pray that in faith, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, can we jump on our feet this morning? As these guys sing a song over us today, just... The words of which are, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you, man. I tell you, when it comes to this, I'm just on my knees saying, Lord, I need you. I just, I get so much of this wrong so much of the time. Lord, I just need you. I'm going to give you the opportunity for prayer this morning. and uh, It might be prayer for someone in your family. It might be prayer, just something that I've touched on today that's prompted in you. Maybe you've got adult children and you just want some others to stand with you and to name them with you before Jesus and just to pray in faith together that God will draw them to Himself. Maybe you're here and you're a parent and you're carrying that can on your own. You know, like you're the only one in your family that is carrying this and you feel conflicted because so often it's just, you feel like you're in a battle over the lives of your kids. Love to pray with you. Maybe you're here as a family and you just know that you got some stuff out of whack and you need God's wisdom 
to get it back in. Well, He's not going to add more hours to your day, but He can give you the wisdom that you need to adjust the hours in your day to reflect the things that matter most in your life. And if you just know that this is your challenge right now, we just love to pray over you. So I just want to, just want to give you the opportunity. The, the front's really open this morning and every situation is going to be different. All of us, I mean, we've been so blessed over the years to have people just pray over us as a family. And there's something so... Such, God's gift sometimes just to have someone pick up your need in prayer step with you into the throne room of heaven bring your need and your request and your pleading to the foot of Jesus and just to ask him to move like there's such a gift that we have with each other sometimes we're so reticent to move but today I just want to encourage you that today's a chance just to have blessing I don't want anyone to come out here and counsel any other family or situation and what they should be doing I just want you to come pray a blessing. So if you're a leader, you're part of our prayer team, maybe you want to move now, some of our leaders, just so people don't feel alone when they come. But as we sing this prayer, why don't you come? Let's pray a blessing over you. Let's pray God's wisdom over you. Let's lift up the name of your kids to heaven together this morning. And let's ask that God would do a good thing. Let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes to our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.